This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Romans chapter 6, uh, we're going to, I'm, I'm going to start Romans chapter 5, verse number 20, because there's a really important verse that kind of sets up all of Romans chapter 6 for us. Paul tells us as we get to the end of Romans chapter 5, verse number 20, moreover the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned and did death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life of Jesus Christ our Lord. Two important themes that are going to run throughout the book of Romans here that we find in just these two verses. First of all, the grace of God versus our sinful condition. And so Paul tells us here in Romans chapter 5, verse number 20, you should circle star, underline it, commit it to memory, that if your sin is bad, God's grace is always more. And if your sin is like really, really bad, super bad, God's grace abounds even much more than that. The the word there in the Greek means to super abound. It doesn't just like kind of meet minimum requirements. It goes above and beyond. So the grace of God versus the sinful human condition, the grace of God is always more. Then when we get to verse number 21 here, it sets up another theme that runs throughout the book of Romans as well, as well this idea of death versus life. The idea is this. Our sin brings about death. Jesus Christ brings about life. Our sin brings eternal death and suffering. Jesus Christ brings eternal life and righteousness. And so there's this, 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 this push-pull theme all throughout the book of Romans. We see it even here, and we'll see it in our text this morning uh, in Romans chapter 6. Now, I'm going to start in verse number 1 for the sake of context, and we're going to read through verse number 10 this morning, really focusing on verses 7 through 10. So again, the idea, if, if God's grace will always outweigh my sin, then that means that I can just continue to sin as much as I want because God will just forgive it all at the end. Unfortunately, Christians get this idea sometimes when we're carnal that, well, I can sin, and of course God doesn't like it, but he's going to forgive it because that's what he does. So Paul gives us a really good idea that should stick with us, Romans chapter 6, verse number 1. So what shall we say then? Shall we just continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. That means absolutely not under no circumstances. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Now, again, that word baptized means to be immersed in Jesus Christ. I am covered in. I am plunged by. I am put under, completely, totally swallowed up by Jesus Christ. Again, union with Christ is a phenomenal theme that runs throughout the book of Romans as well. Therefore, as we were buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. So again, this theme is coming up in Romans chapter 6. My old life died the day that I put my faith and put, uh, became in Christ, and now I'm raised into the power of Jesus to walk, according to verse number 5, in a new life. My life should change because I met Jesus. Now, verse number 6, for if we've been planted together into his, in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, 
knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. So again, we have this idea throughout all of Scripture, really. It's not just a Romans idea. It's all throughout Scripture that our sin has gotten us death. Uh, we see it here in uh, the book of Romans, Romans chapter uh, 6, verse number 23, where we're at right here. For the wages of sin is death. Because of my sin, I am born dead. The book of Ephesians tells me uh, that I was dead in my trespasses and sin. Uh, I was born into this world spiritually dead. Uh, we sometimes talk about mankind as a body, soul, spirit. Uh, my body is born into this world. It's the physical representation of me. My soul is my emotions, my personality, uh, my experiences in life that make up me uh, as being me. Then we have our spirit, which is born dead into this world because of our sin. It's disconnected us from our creator. It's disconnected us from God and the fact that we're not the children of God, we're the enemies of God. And it's put us at odds with God because we are born spiritually dead. Our sin has done that for us. Dead in our trespasses and sin. And so because you and I are dead, we're disconnected from God. We have no way to come to God because our spirit is dead then we will stay dead in our trespasses and sin until we die a physical death. And so then when we die a physical death, the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. After that, the judgment. And, and we'll all stand before God. And if I stand before God in my sin, spiritually dead, God will separate me from him for all of eternity. And I'll be punished for my sin forever in a place called hell. that burns with real fire, no second chances, no getting out. That's what we deserve. Now, God doesn't want you to die and go to hell. God doesn't even want you to be disconnected and separated from him. He wants you to come to him and be one with Jesus. That's what he wants. But he can't just turn a blind eye to your sin and be like, oh, okay, you did some wrong stuff. It's okay. Uh, just come on back. God can't just, just forgive it outright because God has rules. And if the rules say that if you break the law, you have to die, then you've got to die. But God in his love for you, his grace towards you, says, I'm willing to make a way for you to come to me. Somebody still has to die, but it won't be you. It'll be my son. All, all the way as you go back to uh, the beginning of, of the, the Bible, the book of Genesis. Adam and Eve sinned against God. And the Bible says when they did, they immediately recognized that they were naked. They tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, uh, uh, made aprons of fig leaves to try to cover their nakedness. And uh, if you can imagine, fig leaves after they're plucked won't last very long. They would wither and die. So God made them coats of skin. An animal had to be put to death to make a covering for Adam and Eve's sin. And so we see from the very beginning, something had to die. So all throughout the Bible, whenever someone sins, something has to die. And so, no different for you and I. When you and I sin, God says you're going to die. Not only a physical death, but you're born dead spiritually. And when you die, you're going to be separated from me in hell. That's the second death. So for you and I, it's spiritually dead, physically dead, and then a second death after that. So dead, dead, dead. That's what we deserve because of our sin. But God sent Jesus 
that all those that would believe on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so the Bible also tells us that while we were dead in our trespasses and sin, we have been made alive together with Jesus Christ. So that when we are alive together in Christ, our spirit, that third part of us that was dead, now becomes alive, now has a connection to our Father, now is adopted into the family of God, and now, while I'm spiritually alive, I will still die physically one day, but that's just a a stop over until my eternal life. And so really I went from death, death, death to like life, a little bit of death that is really inconsequential to eternal life. And so here we see in the book of Romans where we're at this morning in verses 7 through 10, this, this, this push-pull relationship between death and life and who we used to be and who we are now that we are in Jesus Christ. First of all, when our old man died, we were freed from sin. Important part for you. Jesus, sent, uh, Jesus came to die in your place for your sins, but you must make that decision for yourself. No one can make it for you. I can't pray a prayer so that you'll be saved. Uh, Nobody else, your mom and dad, can't pray a prayer for you that you'll be saved. Uh, Just because your parents were really good Christians doesn't mean that you're going to be a Christian. It's a decision that you must make personally and individually. Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse number 3, no man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So you have to be saved to go to heaven. Saved, born again can be used synonymously. Has there been a time, a date, a place in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior? You must come to the point where you realize, I have sinned against God. I deserve to be punished for what I've done wrong. I believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, and I'm putting my faith in Jesus alone to save me from my sin. You must do that. I was a nine-year-old boy when I did that. Now, the good news is about being born again is you don't have to do it again and again and again and again. When I get eternal life, it's good for eternity. When I'm adopted into the family of God, I'm adopted as a son. You're adopted as a son or a daughter forever. God doesn't say like, oh, you misbehaved. I'm kicking you out of the family, and maybe you can come back later. No, no, no. You, you become a child of God, and you're adopted into the family of God. That's for good for eternity because it's eternal life. But for you, you have to make that decision. Has there been a time, a date, a place where you were born again? Have you been saved? If not, today is your opportunity to put your faith in Jesus. Because when you do that, you're saying, I want Jesus, not me. So that means I, Anthony King, my flesh has to die so that Jesus Christ can be alive in me. We talked about that to some degree last week, and so if you missed that, you can go listen on the podcast because it's super helpful. But when I put my faith in Jesus Christ and was born again, my old man died, and according to verse number 7, I was freed from sin. Take a look at verse number 7 in our text this morning. For he that is dead is freed from sin. So again, we're not going to unpack it today because we had a lot of stuff to unpack today. But we're coming into Romans chapter 6 where we see this idea of slavery. You can either be a slave to sin or you can be a slave to righteousness, but you must pick a side. You will either be a slave to your sin, which know this, you're born into slavery to sin automatic Uh, or you can be a slave to jesus christ and you might say well i just want to be free that's not an option you will always have a master please understand this you will always have a master now your master can either be kind loving benevolent compassionate caring gracious merciful or your master can bring forth death destruction and chaos in every place that it touches totally up to you 
But when you were born again and you put your faith in Jesus and you were baptized into Jesus, immersed into Jesus, became one with Christ, according to verse number 7, the chains of sin fell off. And you're free. Now, he that is dead, verse number 7, is freed from sin. I don't have to serve my sin any longer because I am free. First of all, we're free from the power of sin. If you have been saved, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you have been made one with Jesus, know this. If you sin, it's only because you choose to. That's a heavy thought. It really is. Oh, Pastor, I don't want to do this, but I keep doing this. You're free from it. You're actually dead to your sin. You don't have to serve it any longer. Uh, the, the Bible says that we can deny ungodliness and worldliness in this present world. I don't have to live that way because I'm free from sin. No, before you met Jesus, you didn't have a choice. You couldn't call on the power of the Holy Spirit. You couldn't quote scripture. Uh, you couldn't lean on the promises of God because those weren't yours to claim. And so you were in bondage to sin, and you were in this cycle that you could not break on your own. You couldn't just try to do better, and maybe you'll, you'll, you'll get things figured out. You were caught in a cycle of sin that you could not break on your own, and you were a slave to sin. But when you got saved, you are free from the power of sin. Verse number 14, uh, a little bit ahead of our text this morning, says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but you're under grace. Hey, sin no longer, that word dominion that's used in verse number 14 is the same word that's used in verse number 9. Uh, see here, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. So we look in the, with that same word dominion, power. That same power that death had over Jesus, it no longer has. By the same token, that sin that had power over you no longer has power either. Well then, why, if I'm free from sin, do I continue to get stuck in the sin cycle? According to Romans 6, it's because you've chosen to. And I sit with people, oh, Pastor, I would never choose this in a million years. I understand that. But the power that you need to break the sin cycle has already been given to you. And so we're free from the power of sin. Not only are we free from the power of sin, we're free from the penalty of sin. I was supposed to die, but Jesus died in my place. We call this the substitutional atonement of Christ. I was supposed to be punished. Jesus was punished for me. I was supposed to die. Jesus died for me. I was supposed to endure the wrath of God. Jesus took upon him the wrath of God on my behalf. So that Jesus, as he rose from the dead, allows me the opportunity to also rise from the dead. And so we see the penalty of sin. It's already been placed on Jesus. What I owe God for my sin, death, punishment, it's already been paid in full. Jesus didn't pay part of it. He paid all of it. That's why I I absolutely abhor the idea of penance. Penance is the idea that I'll ask God for forgiveness, and then I'll have to prove uh, that I I really uh, mean it, that I'm really sorry by doing X amounts of good works. That is a spit in the face of of what Jesus did on the cross because it says Jesus didn't do enough to cover your sin. He did most of the work, but if you pray this prayer eight times, then that'll that'll do the rest of the work to cover your sin. What? Oh, bake a meal for a neighbor and that'll cover the rest of your sin. What? Like Jesus suffered and bled and died and that wasn't enough? I've got to bake a cake for somebody? Like that doesn't even make sense. 
It denigrates the work of Christ on the cross to say that Jesus was not enough, but we've been set free from the penalty of sin. Now, where a lot of people uh, get uh, misguided in Romans chapter 6 here, if we're free from the penalty of sin, then what keeps us from going back to our sin, right? I don't know if you're familiar with the, the absolute madness that the state of California is. Uh, and this is not a political statement. This is just a current events uh, statement. Uh, the, this, I have a friend who's a, a Los Angeles sheriff's uh, deputy. And uh, he said the um, uh, attorney, uh, the city attorney, will not prosecute any theft under $1,000. So because it won't be prosecuted, the police don't even show up if there's been a theft of less than $1,000. So he said, these people know this, and they'll load up a, a cart full of, you know, an $800 flat screen TV at Walmart, walk out the front door, and there's nothing you can do about it. Hey, stop. No, I won't. And they keep walking. And you can't call the cops because the cops literally will not come. And so he says, all the criminals know this, and so they make sure that whatever you steal, make sure it's less than $1,000. I mean, you see, like in San Francisco, they're going to all these luxury uh, stores and just ripping stuff off the shelves and running out the front door because they know nobody's coming for them. And so we have this idea in our, of our mind, if there's no penalty for wrongdoing, then everybody's just going to do what's wrong. Unless you're in Christ. Because if you're in Christ, you've been set free from the wrongdoing, the sin. Here, here's the thing. I don't sin... Because I don't want to. It's not like, oh, I wish I could do all this heinous sin. Uh, I wish I could be sexually immoral. I wish I could, could, you know, get involved in all this awful sin, but I just can't because I'm a Christian now. No, I'm set free from that so that when I see people caught in that cycle of sin, my, my feeling towards them is compassion. You're in bondage to your slavery. You're, you're in bondage to your sin that I'm free from the penalty and that doesn't give me the ability to sin as much as I want, that means I don't have to sin any, more, any longer if I don't want to. We were, um, when we met at the Queen's Kealani uh, Hotel uh, several weeks ago, I had walked from our hotel in Waikiki to the Queen's Kapi'olani. I was walking down Kuhio Street and I saw a guy leaned up against a bus stop there with a needle hanging out of his arm, like literally like laying there on the sidewalk at like 4.30 in the morning. And I thought to myself, I feel so sorry for people that are trapped in bondage to sin. My first thought when I saw that, I, I felt sorry for the guy. It wasn't this like, oh, that's so disgusting. Oh, can you believe that? What a, what a terrible human being. My immediate response was compassion because I realized that drugs, whatever he was shooting up that morning is not his number one problem. His number one problem is his sin. And I see that, and I think to myself, I've got the answer for you. Like, I have what can turn your life around, 180, 100%. And it's not a 12-step program. It's, it's, it's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He can deliver you from that. I didn't think to myself, like, oh, man, Sunday morning, here I am on my way to church. I wish I was sitting up by a bus stop shooting up today. You know? I didn't think that. I'm thinking, praise God, I'm not caught in bondage like that any longer. Now, again, when we say we're free from the power and penalty of sin, we're not free to continue to sin. We're free to no longer have to be held down by our sin. We're free from it. Romans chapter 8, verse number 1, there's therefore now, I love this, no condemnation to them which were in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You see, 
Romans 4, we were dealing with this whole idea of justification. And Abraham was justified by faith. That word justified is a legal term. Uh, in the court of law, Abraham was not found guilty, even though he was a sinner. He was found righteous. So it's not like justification means you're, okay, you're not guilty. It means not only are you not guilty, but you have kept the law to perfection. And we're not declared righteous based on our self-righteousness. We're declared righteous based on the righteousness of Christ. And so we're justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And the word condemnation is the opposite of the word justification. Condemnation means you have been found guilty. You are held accountable. You're on the hook for this. You will pay for this. That's what the word condemnation is. It's a legal term. Romans 8, 1, great promise. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So now that I've been baptized, placed into Jesus Christ, my condemnation is gone. All the wrong that I was on the hook for has been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, the penalty, I don't pay because it's already been paid in full by Jesus Christ. The power, oh, it's been broken by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so being in Christ not only gives us freedom from sin, being in Christ also brings us assurance of our eternal destination. Verse number 8 in our text. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. The resurrection of Christ is the, the greatest event in all of human history. It's you have a man that was born of a virgin, born of the Holy Ghost, that when he dies, he's raised also by the power of the Holy Ghost. Like, wow. Like, the two, like, the, the two guardrails of every event in human history, the incarnation of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. It's as big as it gets. Here's what the, the resurrection of Christ means for you and I. It means that I know that when this life is over, I will be with Jesus. We know that as Jesus was resurrected, we too shall also be resurrected. That there's coming a resurrection of the saints. Saints, the word saint being believers. It doesn't mean, you know, people that have a special place in church history and, you know, we put their pictures on a stained glass window. That's not a saint. A saint is those of us that have been born again. The holy ones, the separate ones. That should be us. There's coming a resurrection of the saints. We sometimes refer to this as the rapture. The Bible tells that, that Jesus Christ will meet us and the dead that are in Christ, those that have already passed away and are, are dead and buried and that were in Christ are now resurrected from the grave and then those of us that are alive and remain shall meet them in the air, which will go second after them. And so here we see a bodily resurrection of all believers that takes place. So just as Christ was raised up from the dead, you and I will also be raised up from the dead. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 17 for we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we shall ever be with the Lord. Now, we often refer to this as the rapture. The word rapture is not found in Scripture anywhere. The word rapture is a word that means a catching away of. That's kind of the idea behind uh, the verse here in First Thessalonians. It's the idea that Jesus Christ will return for his bride, will take us to be home with him while the earth is left in a tribulation period that will last seven years. But here's the thing, at the end of the tribulation period, you and I will come back to the earth to, to rule and reign with Christ in his millennial kingdom. 
after that, the Bible says that God will create a new heaven and a new earth, and we will forever be with the Lord. So here's the thing. Once the resurrection takes place, you and I will always be with Jesus. If he's ruling in his millennial kingdom, we'll be ruling and reigning with him. If he's in heaven, we'll be in heaven with him. If he creates a new heaven and a new earth, we'll be there with him as well. And so, verse number 8, now if we be dead with Christ, we know that we shall also live with him. And so we see that heaven will be, we know for a fact because of this, that we'll be in heaven with Jesus when this life is over. John chapter 14, verse number 2, a great promise that comes for believers my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So Jesus promised that he's coming back for all believers, and we're gonna, he's going to take us to heaven to be with him for all of eternity. So being in Christ not only gives me power over sin, it also gives me hope for my eternity. Look, here's the thing. If Jesus was just good for this life, it's a pretty good deal, right? <laughs> I have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Like, hey, that's a win regardless of how you keep score. If all I had was Jesus for this life, it gives me hope, it gives me peace, uh, it, it brings my family together, it, it surrounds me with a, a, a brotherhood and sisterhood of people worldwide. I mean, like, if, if Jesus was just good for this life, man, what a gift. But he's good for the next life as well. Like, like I get to look forward to eternity where all this garbage is gone and passed away and, and sickness and death and sorrow over sin defeated for eternity and i'll get to be with jesus like sign me up unfortunately i found christians sometimes fall into one of those two categories we, we either think that jesus has made our life really good here so i'm not really concerned about what happens after this or i'm i i think that oh i've just got jesus for eternity and i'll take care of everything here on earth it's not a either or it's a both and and so being in christ gives me hope for the future because i know where i'll be People, I often ask people when I'm sharing the gospel, hey, if you died today, are you 100% sure you're going to heaven? Well, nobody can really be 100% sure. And actually, the Bible says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have everlasting life. God wants you to be 100% sure. Well, you can't really know 100% until you see Jesus. Well, the Bible tells us how we can know 100% sure. Well, only God can judge me. That is true. But God has told us by what criteria he will judge us. So the Bible tells us precisely how we can be 100% certain of our eternal destination. But Jesus' resurrection also brought us victory over death. If we take a look at verse number 9. Back into verse number 8. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. Interesting thought about Jesus dying. When Jesus became one of us, he was born into mortality, and then he was automatically subject to death. God is, God is immortal. Jesus Christ is immortal. Uh, eternal uh, there, there's a, a great hymn of the faith, uh, Immortal, Invisible, God, Only Wise. It speaks of like the majesty of how big God 
that's why I, I believe it's really important for us to latch on to, to really good, solid doctrinal songs that are fairly new, but we need to go back and make sure that we, we know and love and appreciate the hymns of the faith. Uh, because like immortal, invisible God only wise is so much better than you're good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are. I'm loved by you. Who I am, who I am, who I am, who I am, who I am. It's like, come on. Like there's, there's, of all the things that you could say about God, that's, you got like two phrases that you repeat a thousand times. Come on, you know. But uh, again, that, that was a side rabbit trail. It has nothing to do with today's message, but it was helpful for you. Um, yes, God, immortal, without space, without time. God always has been. He always will be. Jesus Christ because he's God, is also co-eternal with God, also co-immortal with God, also co-omniscient, omnipresent, all of that because he is God. But the incarnation of Christ now puts limitations, puts boundaries on Jesus Christ. Now, was he still God? Jesus Christ was 100% God even in his incarnation. Never stopped being God. Again, that's really important for us as Bible-believing Christians because this is really important doctrinally. If Jesus stopped being God and just became a regular old guy like you and I and he died a regular guy like you and I, then we need a new Savior. Because if Jesus was just like us, just a regular guy who stopped being God, then a regular guy died for my sins. That's no better than, you know, Billy Joe Jim Bob dying for our sins because he's just a regular guy. But if the creator God of the universe came down and died for the sins of mankind, according to what the Bible says, he is the sacrifice once and for all. And so Jesus never stopped being God when he became man. But now he's subject to the rules of the universe. Now he's subject to the, the laws of, of, of earth and the human existence. Jesus got tired. Jesus got sad. Jesus got hungry. Jesus got thirsty. Jesus uh, had to deal with difficult people. Jesus now, because he was born, would also now one day, he would also die. So now, again, how do you kill God? You can't. But when God becomes a man, and now he's subject to this idea of death because everyone dies. The, the mortality rate for human life, 100%. You're not getting out of here alive, guaranteed. Now, you might live to be 120, and I hope that you do. Uh, you might live till next weekend. And, and if that's the case, we don't know. The Bible says our life is but a vapor. It appears for a short time and vanishes away. I don't know how many days I got left, so it means I need to make every single one of them count. I can't have any unfinished business or calls that I wish that I'd made or people that I wish I'd reached out to. I've got to make sure that all my business is done today because I might see Jesus tonight. So when Jesus becomes a man, he is also subject to, to, to death. And so now that Jesus is one of us, and now he's going to die, there's some, there's some complications, I guess you could say. It's probably not the right word. There's some additional terms and conditions that go on to Jesus' death because he's God. Because he's God, get this, he will die on his own terms. Because he never stops being God, right? You take a look at uh, Philippians chapter uh, 2. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took himself upon the form of a servant, 
He was made in the likeness of men, found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient even unto the death of the cross. So Jesus says, I will go to the cross. Not I have to go to the cross, but he says, I will go to the cross. Jesus died on his own terms. Jesus chose how he, his life would be taken. Because again, if Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, his blood must be shed. You look all the way back to the Old Testament, there must be a shedding of blood for the remission of sin. So Jesus had to die a bloody death to be our Savior. Now imagine this, if Jesus died from old age or Jesus died from a heart attack or something like that, we would still be in our sins. But because Jesus is God, Jesus could not die by a heart attack or by hitting his head or uh, by somebody taking his life. Because he was God, he orchestrated even his, his own death. We find that Jesus voluntarily subjected himself to death on our behalf. Again, doesn't have to, but chose to. We see this in the garden where Jesus says, hey, if, there, if this cup can pass from me, Father, if there be another way, but not my will, but thy will be done. Hey, I don't want to do this, but if this is the only way, I am willing to go. But notice what Jesus says here in John chapter 10, verse number 17, the verses in your notes. Therefore, doth my Father love me, and because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment I will receive from my Father. This is where when God dies, all the rules are different. Because Jesus says this, I lay down my life willingly. Now, Jesus is not the first or the last person to lay down his life willingly. Many people have given their life in sacrifice for their country. Uh, many, many people have given their life in sacrifice for another person. Many people have, have nobly and valiantly giving, given their life for a cause that they believed in. And, and it's noble and it's valuable. And they laid down their life on their own ter terms and conditions. They said, hey, nobody takes my life, but I willingly lay it down. And we would call all those people valiant heroes if they gave their life for a good cause. But what puts Jesus in his own category? Jesus says, I lay down my life on my own terms, but I also pick it back up again on my own terms. Like Jesus not only is fully in control of his death, he's also fully in control of his resurrection. Like, like that automatically puts him in the category of one. Many people might have given their life for a good cause, but nobody has ever taken their life back up again on their own terms, ever. That automatically puts Jesus in his own category. Why did he do that? He died on our behalf willingly. He sacrificed himself because of my sin, willingly. He didn't drag Jesus kicking and screaming. Believe it or not, when they came to arrest Jesus, what happened? Man, Peter pulls out a sword. He's ready to fight. Hey, we're going to throw down. And, and Jesus is like, what are you doing? Stop. I have to do this. And when Jesus had told the apostles, hey, I got to go. And he's like, no, nope, not going to go. Not on my watch. <laughs> Jesus is like, Peter, have a seat. You're going to deny me three times. Oh, it, other people might, but not this guy, not me. You know, and Jesus is like, pipe down. Like, so again, we see Jesus laying his life down willingly. He's not, he's not taken in a, a scuffle and a fight. And, and, and he goes before Pilate, and Pilate's like, hey, look, dude, I have the capability to take your life or not. 
and you're not going to say anything, you have nothing to say for yourself. You know why? Because Isaiah 53 had already said, as a lamb before his shears were dumb, he opened not his mouth. So Jesus, fulfilling the prophecy that Isaiah had already made, stood before the one who had the capability to take or, or, or take his life or leave it. And he said not a word because Jesus says, Pilate, you don't have the power to take my life. I willingly lay it down. You can't take something from me that I've already chosen and that I'm going to lay down because I also have the power to take it up again. So through the resurrection, we find Satan was defeated, death's power was forever broken, and we are given hope. Take a look at verse number 9. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. So here we see, where did death come to begin with? Death came from sin. Who brought sin into the world upon mankind? Adam did. He was, uh, he was deceived by Satan. And so Satan, from the very beginning, has been a merchant of death. Satan's a liar. Satan is uh, a deceiver, the Bible says. And here's the thing. You and I have the opportunity to either walk in, in the blessedness of walking with Jesus or the garbage of our own sin. Like those are the two choices that you're given. You can either you know, eat chocolate chip cookies or you can eat rat poison. Take your pick. And you're like, oh, that's so easy. I, I definitely want the chocolate chip cookies. But then why are you picking out on rat poison? Because that's what we do. The Bible says when we, when we partake in sin, we're partaking death. Sin only has one logical conclusion, and that is death and destruction 100% of the time. I mentioned this in the second service. You should hear this, or the first service. You should definitely hear this. For those of you that make cookies that look like chocolate chip cookies but actually have raisins in them, (laughs) and you don't have a label on them, and people are like, oh, this is so nice, chocolate chip cookies. Who made these? You're a deceiver. (laughs) You know who's also a deceiver? Somebody help me. Satan. I'm just saying. I'm, just label your cookies. It's all I ask. Just label them. And if you're like, well, I'm going to put applesauce in my brownies to make them taste. They don't taste better with applesauce. Like use an egg or flour or lots of sugar, whatever you do. Nobody wants your healthy stuff. So thank you. Um, <laughs> deceiver. Oh. But here's the, inter- here's the interesting thing about the devil is that you and I, if we're given the opportunity to eat chocolate chip cookies or rat poison, we're going to choose chocolate chip cookies, of course. Okay, you can be blessed by following Jesus, or you can do your own thing and be totally destroyed. <sighs> well, what is it that I really want to do? And then we begin to, to, uh, to kind of rationalize things in our mind. Again, on the surface, it's so easy. Well, of course, I'm going to follow after God, but Satan is a liar, and he tempts us. This morning, my alarm went off at 5 a.m. 5 a.m., get up, spend time with the Lord, get on my day. 5 a.m., my alarm goes off, and I think to myself, oh, I'm tired. I don't want to get up. I could sleep until 6, have a little bit less time with God, and still go on my day, right? I mean, like, what's wrong with that? Is, it, is that wrong? Is it sinful, you know? But you know what I did? I said, hey, you can either do something that you're going to be super blessed by, or something that, that at the end of the day will have absolutely zero effect whatsoever. At the end of the day, I'm going to be like, I oh, sure I'm glad I slept in an extra hour. No, I'll be like, I wish I'd slept six more hours. You know, An hour's not going to make or break my day, but time with God will make or break my day. 
right? But, but so many times we, we, we try to weigh those and measure because the devil's a liar. He's going to say, hey, did God really say that? That's what he did to Eve. Oh, God says we can't eat of this because they would eat of it, we'll die. Did God really say that? You're going to die. Oh, please, that's not going to happen. And so from the very beginning, the devil has been a liar. And so Jesus, when he delivers us from our sin and the power and the penalty of our sin, he also delivers us from the power of Satan so that now we have the Holy Spirit and we can see things for what they are. Because we have the Spirit of God inside of us, we should be able to have some level of spiritual discernment to recognize, hey, I think I'm being deceived. I talked with our um, married couple last weekend in our marriage and rescue seminar. One of the things that the devil does is he tries to get you to, to fantasize about what life would be like if. And there was a guy that we went to church with in California that he began to talk with his, his girlfriend on Facebook from high school. And he always thought, I wonder what would happen if we had made it. And they began to talk and stuff like that. And of course, she was divorced and didn't have any kids. And he had two kids. And he thought, well, my life would be so much easier if I didn't have two kids and a wife. He began to talk back and forth and stuff like that. Then he packed up and left his wife and two kids to move into some trailer in Montana with his high school girlfriend. He was like in his 40s. It's like, what are you doing? You know what happened? He was deceived. He began to look at life and say, hey, this is better than what I have. Hey, this is what's going to make me happy. And, and you look at stuff like that, and it's just like, oh, man, you bought the lie hook, line, and sinker. You've been deceived. The Bible tells us that Jesus, when he resurrected, broke Satan's power. Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 14, for as much as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. So he was flesh and blood like you and I, that through death, get this, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Hey, Jesus by his resurrection broke Satan's power and set us free who had been in, there's a word again, bondage before. So that now, get this, those who were following Satan, those who feared death, those that are afraid of dying because they don't know what's going to happen to them, they've been delivered and they've been given hope of eternal life through Jesus Christ. So you and I now have hope. We don't have fear anymore. Christians shouldn't fear. And does that mean we, we don't get scared? No, we can get scared all the time. That's fine. But at the end of the day, we have to have faith and peace. Now, again, sometimes we have irrational fears. I have ir irrational fear of heights. Um, like, I'm terrified of heights. Um, and then we're staying in a hotel in Waikiki when we had the fire here. And my daughter, uh, it's a little, she sits, she's like grabbing the balcony of our hotel and doing this. And it's just like, ah, stop, back up. Don't even go near that. And my wife is like, sweetheart, like, it's fine. They inspect these. They got you know, engineers that do all this stuff. You know, like it's a multi-million dollar hotel. She's safe. Babe, does it feel safe to me? She just needs a backup. Is that an irrational fear? Maybe, maybe not. No lie. Get this. Two weeks later, Moana Surfrider, what happens out there? Fifth floor balcony, the railing completely falls off with nobody out there. And someone could have plunged to their death. And I said, oh, who's irrational now, huh? Sounds pretty rational to me. I mean, you know, 
But sometimes we even have irrational fear of death, like, oh, what's going to happen after I die? Or what's going to happen, uh, you know, in eternity? Am I really saved? Am I not saved? Hey, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God wants to have you, you to have peace knowing that he's in charge of everything that's going on in your life and that you're in charge of very, very little. And so God has given us Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection gives us power over Satan and gives us hope for eternity. Next we see verse number 10 that Jesus died to sin. It's an interesting phrase here. Romans chapter 6, verse number 10, for in that he died... He died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. And so when we talk about Jesus dying unto sin, what does that mean? It means that he became our sin and he subjected himself to the wrath and punishment of God. That's what he did. 2 Corinthians 5.21 is one of the most beautiful verses in all of the New Testament. Speaking of Jesus Christ, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What does that mean? That means all of my sin, past, present, future, all of your sin, past, present, future, all the sins of the world, past, present, future, were all taken up in one big pile, and that pile was placed upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ. And he who knew no sin for us became sin for us. That's a big deal because here's what happened. When Jesus went to the cross, when Jesus hung there, crucified, it was bad, no doubt. Crucifixion was the worst way that the Romans could devise on how to die. It was meant to be painful. It was meant to be embarrassing. It was meant to take a very, very long time for you to die. It was awful. The word excruciating literally comes from the word used for crucifixion. In, in the Latin. It's the most painful way that you can die. But that wasn't the worst part for Jesus, believe it or not. Because if you're, if you're familiar with Roman history, Rome crucified thousands of Christians. Jesus wasn't unique in the fact that he died a very, very painful, awful death. That was just kind of par for the course for all followers of Christ after that, believe it or not. The worst part for Jesus was enduring the wrath of God for the sins of mankind. So all that sin placed upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ as he hung there, the sky went black. And Jesus said this, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? For the first time and only time in all of eternal history, God the Father and God the Son who were one were now separate. Why? Because Jesus became sin. And God the Father cannot be in the presence of sin, and so the Son was left. And now what does God the Father have to do with sin? Because of the violation of his law, he has to punish sin. So God the Father, separate from God the Son, began to rain down wrath, fury, and punishment upon Jesus Christ for sin. And let me tell you this, that is as bad as it could possibly be. But he did it willingly. He laid down his life. Nobody took it from him. He laid down his life for that. And he died. When God the Father saw that payment for sin, when God was satisfied with that, the beautiful Bible word for that was propitiation. Propitiation means a, a, not only a covering for sin, but also an acceptable sacrifice for sin. 
when God the Father saw that sin uh, being paid for, the Bible says that he was pleased with it. Isaiah 53 also says it pleased the Father to bruise him because he knew that through his suffering that many would be made righteous. Jesus says this, it is finished. And the Bible says he gave up the ghost. I love that. He didn't die. He gave up the ghost. And so Jesus died of his own power, of his own volition, and gave his life in, in payment for our sins. Now what happens? Jesus Christ is now buried. I don't believe that when he was in the tomb that he went to hell as final payment for our sins because our sin was already paid for on the cross. It is finished. I don't believe there was any suffering or punishment that had to take place after that. Jesus then rose again of his own power on the third day. He lived 40 days, and the Bible says he showed himself alive to, to hundreds of people by many infallible proofs. It wasn't just like, oh, one guy said that he thought he saw Jesus alive, and we're not really sure. The Bible says it, it was a well-known, accepted fact that Jesus Christ had bodily resurrected. And then on a hillside, he says, hey, guys, I'm going. I got some final marching orders for you. I want you to, after the Holy Ghost comes, I want you to be witness of me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Amen. The Bible says he ascended into heaven. And so now we see that death to sin, man, it's over. Our sin has been paid for. He became sin. He subjected himself to the punishment and the wrath of God, and he has paid for our sin in full. This is a one-time sacrifice that was sufficient for the sins of the world. This is why I don't need Jesus plus penance. I don't need Jesus plus baptism. Uh, I don't need Jesus plus good works. I don't need Jesus plus my mom to help me out. I don't need Jesus plus I need to pray to some saints. I need Jesus plus I need somebody to confirm me. I need Jesus plus I need to go through some religious ritual. If Jesus' sacrifice is good once and for all, Jesus is all I need. Amen. That's it. Now, the, again, when you look back at the Old Testament, there was a lot of sacrifices that were made. Uh, they had the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, uh, where a sacrifice would be made in the temple for the sins of all the people. But then if you go back to the book of Leviticus, every time you did something wrong, you had to make an, a separate sacrifice to cover that particular sin. And so there's an ongoing process of sacrifices that take place. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 10 says, by the which we are sanctified or we're set apart or we're made holy through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. These guys are making sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, and nobody's sins are being washed away. They're making these sacrifices in obedience to the Levitical law, showing faith, showing belief in, in God's law or God's system, believing that there was a Messiah coming, but they're making these sacrifices. And once they're done with that sacrifice, they go and make another sacrifice. And then every single year, Day of Atonement, we're going to make a one huge sacrifice for everybody's sin, but we're just stuck in this loop of sin and sacrifice until Jesus came. But by this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. I, I love what it's, the writer of Hebrews says here, that Jesus Christ, after he'd made a sacrifice, was seated at the hand, right hand of the Father. 
Jesus is not standing at the right hand of the Father. He's seated. Why is that important? Because Jesus has done all the work, and he is in a position of rest now. Everything that Jesus needed to do has been done and dusted. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father, waiting for the Father to say, it's time to go retrieve your bride. That'll be the rapture when Jesus brings his church to be with him as the bride of Christ. But right now, you know what Jesus is doing? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's not standing like he's waiting, getting ready to do something. He's already done everything that needs to be done. Why is that important to you and I? Because when it comes to having victory over our sin, Jesus has already done what is necessary to have victory over sin. There's nothing more that Jesus can do for you than what he's already done. There's no more sacrifices that need to take place. There's no more prayers that need to be prayed. You have been given victory over sin. And Jesus says, hey, victory is yours. Live in it. And so, like, if you're waiting around for Jesus to do a little bit of something extra, he's not because all the work has been done. Sin has no more dominion over you. Being in Christ, we now know that we will rise to live with him. And for him that he died, he died unto sin once, but when he lives, he lives forever unto God. So, three final thoughts here of what this means for you and I, and we're done. First of all, Jesus' victory means we no longer fear death. Now look, I'm not trying to, to, to jaywalk in a busy intersection. I'm not trying to ride down the freeway at 80 miles an hour with no seatbelts on. I'm not trying to die, okay? But I don't fear death. I'm not afraid of what happens when I die because here's the thing. I know I'm going to die. And believe it or not, I'm prepared to go this afternoon if necessary. There's nobody I need to call, nothing I need to make right, no plans I need to make, no things I need to set in order. Now, now, do I want to hang around? Of course I do. I, I want God to continue to use my life. There's, there's things I want to see. I want to see my kids get married. I want to see my, my daughters, when they're 50, begin dating and have a relationship with another man. Uh, like, there's things I want to do, right? But here's the thing. I don't fear death because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Oh, I'm not here. I'm just with Jesus. Yeah, okay, that's the easy choice. So look, when my time is over here on this earth, this is why, again, just personal preference for me, I don't do funeral services that are super sad where everybody wears black and cries and there's a row of Kleenexes out for everybody. We don't do stuff like that. We have celebrations of life where we talk about how much you love Jesus, how much you loved other people, where you had a, uh, God used your life as an impact in other people's lives. We talk about how you're now with Jesus, and we can sing songs like, It is well with my soul. Now, can we grieve? Of course we should grieve. The Bible says that we should. But we don't mourn a loss that, that it's heaven's gain. Totally different mindset altogether. And so I don't fear death because I know it's waiting for me on the other side. Because, again, I don't have anything that I need to wrap up. And I'll just tell you this. If you've got some things you need to wrap up or some phone calls you should make, you should probably make them like this afternoon. Because you should live every single day like it's your last one. I don't, I don't keep a bucket list of, here's the 10 things I want to do before I die. If I do some really cool stuff, that's awesome, but I don't need to do anything. I, I have lived a life that has been ridiculously blessed by God. If I get called home today, man, I lived a really, really good life, and God was awesome to me. And I get to be with Jesus forever, like, sign me up. So Christians, we don't fear death. We should, we should fear those that we know that don't know Jesus really, really hard being in my shoes as a pastor 
to sit with people who have a family member who's passed away that was not a believer in Christ. It's awful. Um, one of our church members, um, one of the guys on his basketball team had passed away, 21-year-old kid, uh, fell, fell dead on the court, or fell, had a heart attack on the court and was in a coma for six days and then passed away. Awful. His parents came. They were a Muslim family. I didn't have any words to say. I'm really sorry for your loss. I'm praying that God will give you comfort during this time. I couldn't say, well, your, your son's with the Lord, because he's not. I don't have any hope to give because hope comes from Christ. And when you have a life without Christ, you have a life without any hope. You have an eternity without hope. But man, it'll be a, a year this coming May. I sat with uh, Andy Riley on the last days of his life. And I, I, I go there probably a month and a half. I went there every single day and sat with him, sometimes for 10 minutes, sometimes for a couple of hours, and just talked. And he's just like, man, I can't wait to see Jesus. I said, Andy, I'm super jealous. You're going to get there before I will. And he just said, I'll wait for you. All right. He said, I appreciate that. And, uh, and so, but I thought to myself, here's the guy who got to the end of his life. Here's what he said. I wish I'd lived for Jesus longer. He came to faith late in his life. I wish I'd lived for Jesus longer. And I wish I could reach more people for Jesus. I wish I had a little bit more time to do some work for Jesus. He said, man, I'm looking forward to seeing him. I know you are, buddy. I know you are. And here's the thing, that's a peace that comes. And, and when Andy's life was over, had the opportunity to go and sit with Carol, and, and you know, she had the peace of God because she knew Andy's in heaven. She knows she's going to see him one day. It just, man, that brings so much peace, knowing that we are in Christ, and we know that if we died with Christ, that we're going to live with him. What a comfort. Next, Jesus' victory means that you and I have victory over sin. You say, well, Pastor, I'm a child of God, but I don't have victory over sin. Oh, you have it. You're just not living in it. It's 100%. You're, again, because Jesus doesn't have anything left to do to, to make you victorious. You have freedom from sin. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You have the promises of the Word of God at your disposal. You have a church family that loves your socks off. You have a pastor that prays for you every single day. You're surrounded by believers that are not perfect but are trying to go the same direction that you are. Please tell me why you are still stuck in sin other than you've chosen to stay stuck. Because God's given you everything that you need. There's nothing left that you don't already have that he could give to you to give you victory over sin. Because he that is dead, verse 7, is freed from sin. So if we've been given victory, we need to live like it. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God which gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, because you have victory, here's what I want you to do. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. But here, here's the great part about being alive in Christ. Jesus' victory means I get to live for him. Oh, man, what a privilege. God has called me his son. God has chosen me for his team. I don't know if you guys had the experience of being picked last on teams in school, but like, I was good at basketball, so I always got picked like first in basketball. Soccer, where you got to run back and forth the entire length of the field, I was always picked dead last. But you know what? God didn't pick me last. God picked me. Where did I fall in the, in the, the flow chart or the team picking? doesn't matter. God chose me for his team, and he says, I want you to help me to advance my kingdom. And I get to live for him. What a gift. I don't have to wake up at a bus stop with a needle stuck in my arm wondering how I got there. 
I don't have to wake up on somebody's couch covered in vomit wondering how I got there. I don't have to wake up in bed next to somebody that I don't know wondering how I got there. I don't have to live a life where I'm continually overwhelmed and overcome by my sin. I get to live for Jesus. What a privilege. Man, Christianity is not what I've lost. It's what I've gained. It's not what I've given up. It's what God's given me. Like, wow. So again, when I sit with somebody, you can understand this. And I say, hey, I want to encourage you. Is there any reason today why you wouldn't want to put your faith in Jesus Christ? And they say, ah, oh, I'm not really sure if I'm ready to give up my sin or not. It's just like, what? You've got a plate full of rat poison that you're shoveling in your pie hole. And I'm trying to slow you down. And you're saying like, no, I just, I just want to die in my sin. No. I have something for you that's so much greater. If you're here today, there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again. Today's your opportunity to find life, like real life. Stop living for what the world says is life that is actually leading you to death. Live a real life that will bring you joy. Christian if you've been freed from sin, please don't go back and dilly-dally around there to see if there's anything left there. Don't go back and start sniffing around to find out if there's any value in that dead man. He's dead and gone in Christ. You're alive to him, to Jesus now. And so I want to encourage you, live that new life that you've been given in Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.